we're continuing on in the little series that we started two weeks ago, um, just as we build up into Christmas. And um, we uh, have been going through the story of the Bible. It's been a very quick tour through, to be fair. But we've been looking out for the serpent crusher, the one who's going to overthrow the curse of the fall. And last week we found, at last, a real candidate. But the question is, will he pass the test that others have already failed? So turn with me to Matthew and chapter 4. And Matthew chapter 4 is going to really tell us about three punishing tests that Jesus went through. Let's just read Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after, 40, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall Worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you worship. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And these temptations are in many ways just like those that the other failed heroes had to face. But also like the temptation that Adam and Eve faced back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, where this whole story begins. And what lies behind these three tests was that the devil gives to Jesus were subtle, just deceptions and lies. So here, just like in the Garden of Eden, the devil twists the meaning of God's word. Did God really say? Can you really trust God? He also appeals to pride. You know, you will be like, just do these things and you will be like God. And thirdly, he appeals to senses. Again, just like in Eden, Eve saw that the fruit was good to eat, and she ate some, even though God had asked them not to eat from that particular tree out of love, in fact, to protect man and woman. And we discover that Satan's tactics, the, the snake's tactics in Eden, are not just to throw doubt on what God has said, but to get Eve to actually doubt God's intentions. And the tactics in the wilderness are very much similar. Perhaps a little bit more subtle, but actually they're, very, they're virtually the same. And Satan will always suggest that his ways are liberating, 
but his intentions have not changed. In fact, they are still there to kill and to steal and to destroy. And we must be on our guard. You see, Satan remains extremely imaginative in the way in which he tempts Christians. But at heart, his lies always appeal to the same thing. Things haven't changed that much, really. But actually, we can stand with some courage, and, and in fact, we can stand with confidence knowing that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. You face that difficulty, Jesus understands. He understands how fiercely fierce these temptations can be. In fact, in Hebrews it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. So we need to be honest with God, honest about the things that we're struggling with and ask him to help us when we engage the enemy. In fact, it's important that we understand actually which of these temptations we are most vulnerable to. Is it that we struggle to trust God? Distrust in God. Perhaps maybe the whole concept of having God as our Father, some people really struggle with that and never fully put their complete trust in God. Maybe it's pride. That temptation of pride can so easily trip us up. Is that what we're struggling with? Maybe it's those sensual desires, those temptations that come against us and we we really struggle to say no to things that we know we shouldn't ever say yes to. But we can defeat temptations by following Jesus' example. In fact, just as Jesus protected himself by knowing God's word and had three magnificent victories, so can you. But just quoting the Bible will not drive the devil or his temptations away. You know, these biblical words, they're not some sort of magic spell or sort of magic words that we just use, or of abracadabra with a biblical sense. That is not how it works. Knowing God's word protects you when you put it into practice within your life and you allow it just to reshape your thinking and your heart in response and then respond to everything that comes against us in a righteous and a godly way. It's spending time in the word of God. It's being filled with the Spirit of God and is stepping out boldly, righteously, because God has changed our very hearts. In fact, this is what we read very similar to last week in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. It says, but, the right, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will bring decisions for the poor of this earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And you see, Jesus is the word, but also he effectively and powerfully speaks the word. And of course, he is our perfect example. And like him, we need to know and we need to believe God's word. But rather critically and crucially, we need also to be convinced that following God's way is actually the right way. In fact, the only way to bring true blessing and happiness and freedom into our lives. So what happened in that wilderness as Satan confronted Jesus was round one to the serpent crusher. Now throughout his ministry, the Lord Jesus repeatedly demonstrates his power and authority over the forces of darkness. And, and, but this is, this is more than just about defeating the enemy because Jesus 
steps out in victory. And to do this, he basically is about setting captives free. So turn to Matthew and chapter 8. I'm going to pick up in verse 28. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gardasians, two demon-possessed men coming from the tomb met him. They were so violent that nobody could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the waters. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all things, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. And this incident is a window into the victory that Jesus would win on the cross. And these demons, they they already know what their outcome is going to be. They know what is going to happen in the end. And the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over them is both obvious and total. And as we saw in Isaiah chapter 11 again, it is his word that that is the powerful instrument of salvation. He only has to say, go, and the cruel chains that enslaved and tortured these men and their community for years is completely and utterly shattered. Now, we could be naive in thinking that this sort of spiritual enslavement just wouldn't happen in the West today, but it's here, and it is very real. And although Satan very often comes in very subtly and tries to attack more subtly, in fact, he sometimes wants to keep himself under the radar, however, sometimes we will come face to face with him. So how do you react when you face up to something that is very obviously demonic? Do you react by dismissing it? Many people do. Do you react by just ignoring it or by fearing it? Well, actually, how we should react is to talk confidently and calmly to the Lord Jesus who has complete authority over it and can banish it completely. In fact, in Jesus' name, there is absolute power to disarm the powers of darkness and the powers of the enemy. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul explains why we can be so confident in the power of Christ. I want to pick it up in verse 13. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's made a a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And this is centered around the gospel of grace. It is the written code of God's law, but also the consequences of breaking it. 
And when we fail to keep the law, when we sin, when we disobey God and go our own way, this gives Satan a foothold within our lives. It gives him his power. And sin leads to death and leads to judgment. In fact, the reality is that that mankind is living in fear of the judgment that is to come, knowing that their disobedience to God is inevitably going to result in death and in condemnation. And the tempter and his crew hold power over everyone. And then, enter the serpent crusher. And through Jesus' death on the cross, the written code has been cancelled. And as a result, all power and authority has been removed from the powers of darkness. And the even better news that the wonderful consequences of this for those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is that debt is cancelled. We receive the forgiveness that only comes through faith in Christ. There is no longer condemnation over our lives. We are forgiven and we are alive in Christ. Just worth pausing for a moment. Just to enjoy the scene. Through his perfect obedience to the law, through Jesus' death on the cross, he breaks forever the chains that hold us. This is verse 15 again. And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It brings to mind perhaps that of a Roman general who would come home after battle, after winning an amazing victory. And he comes in glorious victory over his enemies. In fact, the enemies very often were led in chains through the streets just to the approving roar of the crowd. And that crowd, they're no longer living in fear, but they are enjoying and they are celebrating peace and victory. And at the cross, Genesis chapter 3 And verse 15 finds its complete fulfillment. And Jesus' heel was struck. He was wounded for our transgressions. But the serpent's head was utterly crushed. And we can rejoice and we can celebrate his victory. Round two to the serpent crusher. And we've come a long way in the last three weeks as we've very much skimmed through much of the the, the Bible. There have been centuries of human misery and with life always ending in death, with the serpent holding his grip over mankind. But we can live in confidence because Jesus Christ is the serpent crusher. He is the one who left heaven and came down into this world. And Jesus, born as a baby, But he had to be physically born into this world as a human because only the death of a sinless human could break the power of death and set people free. And listen, we need to be set free. This is what Hebrews chapter 2 says, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, talking about Jesus, he shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. 
And the Bible shows us that we are enslaved to this world because of the fear of death that actually lurks deep within each one of us. And we react to that, of course, in, in different ways. Sometimes we just try to cram as much experiences and as many things into our short lives as we possibly can. And we think, I've just got to do as much as I can before things end. Yet at the same time, we allow setbacks at work and of our relationships and, and, and just simply to, to crush us. But what we really fear is what lies beyond death, the awful judgment of God. But Christmas is all about putting an end to that fear. The one who was born as a baby, Jesus, is the serpent crusher, who has overthrown the fall through his death on the cross. And the result of those who find forgiveness and new life through Christ is that they no longer live enslaved to this life, but that they look to the next in complete and utter confidence and hope. See, if you know that you've been truly set free by Jesus, it will affect your plans for the future. It will affect next year and beyond. In fact, it puts our work, it puts our leisure, it puts our hobbies, it puts, it puts everything into the right perspective. And it will change your view that death is the end and that everything must somehow be crammed into this short life but also it will mean that we will serve Jesus, the one who served us. In fact, the one who gave his very life for us. And surely this will change your priorities. It will change your decisions. It will change your bank balance. In fact, it will change everything in 2017. And I pray that this Christmas time would be just a time where we find glorious freedom in how we live right now. And that comes through knowing Jesus. But there's also a warning in Scripture here that we should be careful of, that we should not be naive, because Satan may have lost his power, but the Bible warns us that this ancient serpent is still active. Just turn over to Romans chapter 16, just a few verses, verse 17, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learnt. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive, they deceive the minds of, of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And the illustration that's often used for this is that of the end of the, the Second World War. See, once the Allies had landed in France and established themselves in 1944, it could be argued that there was no doubt about the inevitable outcome of that particular war. But yet, there would still be months of fighting, hard fighting to come, and stubborn pockets of resistance that needed to be overcome. But the third rank was, was basically doomed from that point onwards.
In the same way, the power of the serpent was destroyed on the cross. And he need hold no fear for those who have discovered the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he remains a dangerous enemy, able to wound, to frustrate, to even inflict pain and damage to the unwary. So, beware. The Bible tells us to be careful. In fact, in verse 17 and 19, it suggests that the serpent remains very active even among Christians today. He's still using the same tactics that he's used back in the Garden of Eden when he first attacked Eve. Lies, distortion, bringing doubt on God's word, appealing to our fleshly instincts and appetites, smooth talk and flattery. In fact, his desired end is still the same and the means which he uses to get there still the same. So we need to be courageous. We need to be careful. And Paul encourages us to be innocent, but not to be naive. We need to develop an instinct that recognizes where the enemy is at work to detect his lies behind the fine-sounding arguments perhaps we read in books or we see on the internet or or even the, the attractive suggestions of someone who maybe even claims to be a Christian. As individual Christians and as a church, we must battle on against the devil's continual temptation that threatened to divide and then pick us off one by one. We need, as we've heard already, to know the reconciliation that comes through Christ both reconciliation with God, but also reconciliation with one another. But we can be confident in the final result. And the Bible closes with a wonderful picture, which again ties in with what Sue brought a little bit earlier, this wonderful picture of a new heaven and a new earth. Eden is restored. It's made more glorious by the absence of the serpent. In fact, even more glorious by the presence of the wounded but glorious serpent crusher who is at the very center of it. Flip over to the last page of the Bible, Revelation 22, and just read verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And down the middle of that great street of the city, on one side the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruits every month, and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nation. No longer, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servant will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. They will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and forever. Third and final round goes to the serpent crusher and the knockout blow. Listen, all of this is possible this Christmas because a baby was born in a manger. Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel, because he is the serpent crusher and the king 
and the Lord over all. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. <laughs> Father, we worship you for just who you are. Lord, we give you glory. Lord, we thank you that you are victorious, that you are Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you chose to come into this world. You chose to be born. Lord, that you chose to live a life, Lord, among people like us. And you did it perfectly and without sin. And you chose the cross where you died that we might know forgiveness, that we might know the victory, that we might know what it is to have our sins forgiven. And Lord, this Christmas, we rejoice in you for all you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your love. Amen.